Welcome to the On Course Podcast presented by New England Golf Journal. I am Sean Melia, the editor, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Jim McCabe. Jim, welcome. Good to be here, yes. as always. You've a long road trip for you. Last time we talked, um, you were getting ready to go to the Masters, and now, now you're back. Yes. My little uh, spring pilgrimage w- went well. I now have a ritual. I drive down, listen to a lot of music, drive down, go to Pinehurst a few days, cover the Masters, cover the RBC Heritage in Hilton Head. Yep. And then the only downside is you do have to drive. <laughs> so other than that, I saw every... Feel like I sort of drove past every citizen of the Washington D.C. area sitting in traffic. Yep, brutal. Yep, but yeah, good back, good to be back. Wonderful two weeks though. I uh, I have to say I, I watched, especially the Masters week, a lot of press conferences. Heard your voice a few times asking yeah. some questions. Tough, 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 tough <laughs> to disguise that voice. <laughs> so any any like big takeaways from? That week at the Masters, pouring rain, John Rahm wins, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, your your boy Jordan Spieth, who you thought yeah. might win, gave it a bit of a run at the end there. Any anything from it, that week? It, what's the rain what's it like when it's raining it, at Augusta it's, National? It's, it's kind of the most deflating tournament you can go to when it rains because you don't want rain at a, you never want rain in golf. But down there it it just it slows everything down. Yep. It, you you're getting a lot of patrons off the field off the field of play and getting them out of there. There was one delay one day, I think it lasted twenty twenty five minutes and I never saw it. it was like a mass exodus getting the people off and next thing they're all coming back. Yeah. It it it's just a very disjointed tournament and it which is at the end of the day you'd like to have a leader and you really didn't. The leader wasn't done. Yep. But that being said it it's pretty hard to not appreciate the fact that the best player in the world won. Right. And I, I say Rahm's 1A and Scotty Scheffler's 1B, and if not for a few burps here and there, Scotty Scheffler played very nicely in his defense. I think the, no shock that Kepka was there. Yep. Um, these guys have not forgotten how to play golf. I, no. I, th- I thought it was the most overblown story of the week myself. Well, they play for live. So what? They're good. I was stunned at Mickelson. I think I'm not the only one. And he, something about being there, because he hasn't played a good round of golf since Kiowa Island in 21. Yep. So that was a shock. There's always a little bit of a surprise. It was definitely Mickelson. It was, but it was the Masters. It somehow, some way, no matter how hot it rained late Friday and summer Saturday, it turned out to be, I mean, it was warm and beautiful on Sunday. There were some charges made, some really good play, memorable shots. Rom played, he, he, he stayed him down. Rom had the toughest draw. He was in Yeah, he, he was for in sure. There. Brooks Kepka got the softer, softer of the draws. It's no disrespect to Brooks. He just did. So for Johnny Rom to come back like that and... He really won the tournament on the short holes. He picked up shots on three, four, six, and twelve, and that was <clears throat> that was that to me was the key. Yeah, the shot he hit on six was a lot better than it looked on TV because he it just rolls back, but he got it up and down there beautifully. Yeah, so all 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 the power to him. Yeah, Good for him. And then you go to Harbor Town, which was a, a designated event. So yeah. a lot of guys. Just followed you right up, right 
right up to Harbor Town oh, yeah, from yeah, Augusta, carpool with anybody. <laughs> I, I, I told someone, I said, it's a designated event for the players, but it, it almost felt like it was a designated event for uh, people, because yeah. the fans. I've never seen, I've been to cover that tournament probably eight, ten times. Yeah. Never, ever have seen it that crowded with people. Thursday morning, you could barely move. So it was Thursday morning. The weather was beautiful, except for a little, little about a, an hour, a couple, an hour and a half rain delay. John Rahman was in the middle of that again. <laughs> yep. But, again, when it shook out, you had three players playing. It was basically head-to-head-to-head. To head to head. I mean, Cantley fell off late, but he was right there. Yep. Cantley, Fitz, and Jordan Spieth, and I, I would have put my money on Jordan Spieth because he's Jordan Spieth. Right. But... You know, all Matt Fitzpatrick is—he's kind of a freak of nature right now. I mean, he's, he's a small kid, yep. and very big, and he's not just hitting it ten yards longer than he. he I, I mean, he's, he's hitting about 30, 30 yards longer. I can't yep. believe the length the kid is putting on. And <clears throat> nine irons from one eighty-six. Yeah, all juiced up. Jeez. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Cantlay because mm-hmm. this is the last last little thing before we bring in Dave Pizzino from UConn. He has been the lightning rod for slow play. Uh-huh. Um, what was I, I know he kind of got asked about it at Harbor Town after his Masters, kind of his showing there and and looking like he was holding up play a lot. And Brooks complained about it. Do you have any sense of like a way that slow play is it as bad as people think it is, or is this just now the story that people want to tell about what's going on in professional golf, and it'll go away in three weeks? It's always been a problem. Yeah. It's always, always been a problem. I'm just amazed that people... I could show you clips. I cut them out when I find them. 1940s U.S. Open at Oakmont. Ben Hogan is quoted as saying, he's asked for his two-shot penalty right now, up front, before he plays, because he is not moving faster. And other players are... talking about Ben Hogan like he's a plague and I don't want to play with Ben Hogan. Yeah. I laugh at all these people. Oh, my dream foursome is Ben Hogan and Jack <laughs> Nicholas. Well, <laughs> two maybe the two two of the three best players ever and arguably two of the slowest most methodical. You know, methodical. Yeah. Say, yeah, the same. The, the thing about slow play is everybody knows it's a problem. Everyone knows it's a problem. No one has a solution. Yeah. Stop this nonsense about your shot clock. Who's going to run the shot clock? Who? I don't know. I think, you could, I think you could have one. I think I'm you could have sh- one on the putting green. I don't know if you could have one throughout mm-hmm. the hole, but I mean, I, I, I just went to a Red Sox game on Monday. Right. And I was astounded at how the, the pace of the game was quicker just because they had 15 yeah. seconds. That's my, I think that's like putting a clock. They already have all the infrastructure around the putting green. Just once you're, once the players cross some sort of line or everyone's on the green, like you have, a clock counted out now. Who's to say fans won't start counting? Like it could create right. other issues on top it, of it. It, it could, and and I, I guess the issue I have with it is okay, but there's going to be extenuating circumstances for everything, right? So you are standing over your pot, and you are ready to pot, and you have forty seconds, and someone, you know, all of a sudden you look, the green light goes on, your forty seconds stop starts. You're lean. You're standing over your putt, and all of a sudden, someone yells out, "While we're young," or yeah. something like that. Are you allowed the chance to back off? And you get now your forty seconds. 
I just find it to be an unsolvable yeah problem. I really do. The 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 the, the, the onus is on the players. Yep. So if guys think that Patrick Cantley is slow, and he is, he admitted he's slow. He's always played slow. Yep. But he also is very coy to say, listen, we have rules in place. We have warnings. I haven't been warned that I'm out of place. Yeah. Now, what people didn't see, and I saw because I was there, is he took he took a long time to play a shot on the 13th hole at Harbortown. It's a, it's a basically an island green surrounded by a bunker. Yep. You don't want to be in the bunker. You, get, you have to hit. Well, he hit a sec, bad second shot, <clears throat> a little fat. He's at the front of the apron, and it's a U shape. Oh yeah. So he can't go right at the. He could have putted. He's on. He's basically on the fringe. He was on the fringe. He could have putted it, but he can't because it's a big break. So he's going to wedge it over. Yeah. He took forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What people didn't see was he looked over because the 14th tee is 30 yards away. Yep. And the 14th green is 60, 80, 180 yards away. Yep. There was a threesome there, threesome on the tee. Now, he's like every golfer, recreational golfer. They're going to say, well... Why am I going to rush this shot and to get up there? He's losing. He's he's leaking a little oil right now. He knows he can't make bogey. Right. He does make bogey. Next hole, he hits, and there is no one in the world could have believed the ball would end up where it did. He's long on the green, chips it across the green. It's on the bulkhead, on the railway tire. It was insane. It, like, wedged in between the wood it was planks. Ins- it was insane. I mean, yeah. it was... So, listen, I I totally sympathize with them. The people who are always screaming, slow play, slow play, the loudest, are recreational golfers who will tell you, well, I played in three hours. Yeah, you shoot your 97 in yeah. three hours, good for you. Pick up four-footers. It's <laughs> not your livelihood. Yep. I, the, it's a slack. I'll always cut these guys. It's a livelihood. Yep. So, Patrick, later when I, I simply asked him, how, how long did it take you to make up your mind? He said, I looked, I looked. I didn't want the ball was going to go back in the water if I hit it wrong. Yep. He, he basically said at that point, I cannot make a double bogey there or I'm definitely out of He's the tournament. Done. Yep. He made a brilliant up and down for four. Yep. He stayed in the tournament. He's an easy target right now. Yeah, I know. That's, that's there, the problem. There, I, could, I could, we don't have time right now. <laughs> there's a I long could, list. There's a long list yep. of guys. All I know is people want shot clocks. Let's go while we're young. Yeah. <laughs> people who do want shot clocks. 2005, Tiger Woods, go back and watch the clip and tell me how long it took him over that shot behind the green at 16. And it was more than 40 seconds. Right. And what would the outcry have been if Tiger had made that shot? For and the, got a stroke. And, oh, by the way, Tiger, slow play. Yeah. Uh, to, come on. I mean... Everybody wants it. No one can figure out how to do it. And it's it, I, I I appreciate what you're saying about baseball because I've, I've, I've heard it's amazing. That. It's amazing. Some of the greatest players in, in our generation, Derek Jeter was was a, was a in in Noma Garcia Para. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean they were human rain delays. Yep, they've stopped that. That that was an easy fix for baseball to finally do it. Why did it, take, it took them so long to do it? It's beyond me. 
I don't see the golf has that is easy fix. I think poli- the players are really going to have to police it themselves. Yep, yep, and, and maybe and maybe yeah. starting kind of grassroots. Maybe Dave Pizzino has some thoughts about like college. I mean, college is slow as well. But we do want to get to Dave, so let's bring in Dave Pizzino from 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 UConn, and we're going to hear all about his his life down in stores and getting ready for a Big East Conference play and hopefully a national championship little appearance too. Let's welcome in Dave Pizzino, the head golf coach at UConn. Dave, welcome to On Course. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is uh, going to be a lot of fun. I know it. Is this anything your... with Jim McCabe's involved? In, I'm in. <laughs> is this your first podcast? Oh, no, done a okay. couple of these. Done a couple of these. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're stoked to have you. I I do just need to start with kind of the the bigger question of you're at a at a, on campus where a national championship was just won by a basketball team who had an incredible, incredible march. How, how does that, does that like sprinkle into other athletics? Is there kind of like a little bit of energy that gets added to your squad and just other teams on campus? What is it, what is it like to be on campus where a national championship, a big national championship was won? Right. And I think what people don't realize is that there's 15 national championships in, I'm sitting at Gamble Pavilion in the basement, and there's 15 national championships in this building. It's the most significant basketball facility in the world, and most certainly in college basketball, in my opinion. And I think that I think that would be a fact. I think that the expectations here at the University of Connecticut are Big East titles, and obviously regional play, and then national championships are the ultimate goal, but there's a standard. We, we, we sit in head coaches meetings back when I first got here and you had Gino Ariema, Jim Calhoun, Nancy Stevens, Ray Reed, all of them won multiple national championships and elite high character people. So it's uh, there's a standard of excellence here and it's a, uh, it's a big deal. Those five letters and that pretty dog, they're not just for show. They, they matter. What, what is, what is a meeting of with all the head coaches on campus? How often do you all get together? How often do you get to kind of pick their brains about stuff? What does that look like? Well, thankfully, I work in a great place with wonderful leadership and outstanding folks. We, we get together as much as we can. Obviously, this past head coaches meeting was right in the middle of the run. So <laughs> didn't meet then. Too many, too many folks in Houston. But uh, n- normally, our head coaches meetings, I don't say a lot, which if you know me is kind of kind of shocking because I do talk a lot, but I sit there in awe as I look around the room. I'm pretty blessed. It's a, it's a special group. I think what Coach Moore is doing in football is something that should be reserved for the Nobel Peace Prize. It's It's been great to see what he's done and changed the culture of that building and those young men. And it's it's pretty neat because I love football. So to see them be successful again, it's it's been a lot of fun. But those head coaches meetings and are, are pretty special. And then thankfully we have a very low key coaching group. I know we have a lot of successful coaches, but everybody's approachable and text or call. So it's, it's, even though they've been very successful, they're still my friends. Yeah. That's awesome. Just mm-hmm. For you. So you've had a fall season, spring mm-hmm. season, a lot of tournaments, a lot of kids, a lot of kid, a lot of practice for the kids, but how, how is it different going into the Big East championship? Does, do they have a different game face on? Well, we're finishing up some qualifying right now, Jim, to find out our fifth guy for the lineup. And there is an, an extra sharper focus this week during qualifying. And 
scores are a little lower, so that's pretty cool. We're playing out at Ellington Ridge here in Ellington, and the golf course can't be in better shape. We're really pumped. Greens are rolling great. The golf course is going to be a good challenge. We're playing the Big East Championship at Riverton Point, which asks you to do a lot of things. It asks you to think off the tee, move the ball left to right, right to left, have some discipline, which thankfully our guys are doing a great job of working into their golf course management. But to this time of year, there is a little something extra in the air. We got more daylight. We're able to play a lot more, but we've played a hell of a schedule this year. Pretty, pretty demanding. And that's on me. I I know that we play a national schedule. We're blessed with that fact, but we'll, we'll play anyone, anywhere, anytime. So as long as it can help our guys develop, I'm, I'm all in. And, and I think it's my responsibility to create culture where the guys can play and get better and develop. Because I think if you look at the guys that have played at our place, have gone under recruited and then come in and gotten better at the end. I'm really proud of that fact. We've got a lot of New England guys and I'm proud that we have these these young tough guys who are weather weather beaten <laughs> that can handle their own. Yeah, because let's face it, they know it. You're going to play golf in New England and it can, the calendar can tell you in April, it, it's April, but it might feel like February some days. These kids all know it though. And that's going to be, it's going to make it for you satisfying that they are tough and they, they can play in this. And they're not going to complain. And if it's 42 degrees and blowing, they're going out to play. Jim, in COVID spring, we hosted a tournament at Ellington. And if you go back and find pictures of that day, it was 23 degrees, the one round. And Jared, Jared Nelson, our graduate student here this year was just in a pullover and I had yeah. rain gear, pro combat, two <laughs> sweatshirts, and then the sideline football jacket on. And he, he could care less. Yeah. I think it's important, Jim, cause we play outside that kids that play in perfect weather all the time, they, they don't really face any adversity. And I, and I think playing in a dome doesn't help a player develop. I think a player learning how to play in different parts of the country, like our schedule allows them to do. We had snow in Arizona. We had less snow here than we saw out there. That's we got right. snowed out. That's right. You got yeah. snowed, yeah, snowed out, out here yet. What's kind of continuing on with that? Just when you're looking for kids and you're kind of in that recruiting mode, what are what are some of your other guiding lights and things that you look for specifically as you're poking around and maybe looking at looking at juniors and seniors in the in the golf world? And maybe some kids so on like, transfer yeah. portal too, you know? I'm looking for a multiple sport athlete. Usually those kids are a little bit more coachable. I'm looking for a student athlete that can, I'm looking for a student athlete that can play in tough weather, obviously. And the, the idea for me is that I got to find a kid that wants to get better and that is coachable. And some of that has to do with how do they play on the golf course and how do they prepare? So I really enjoy going to the range before tournament round watching juniors. I'll let you into a little secret. I actually sit in the parking lot and see how a kid goes from the car to the range. And I will tell you of a horror story that I saw. There was a kid I really liked (laughs) and I have no, no ill will towards a push cart, but he gets out, he puts his earphones on. And he's standing there, he's like dancing and mom is, is unpacking this 
push cart. And it blew my mind that he didn't stop what he was doing and put the thing together himself. Mm -hmm. She struggled. Finally, another dad came and helped her. And then I watched him not even acknowledge her and walk to the range. Yeah. So I immediately took, I took my recruiting list and I just there went, zip. Cause I'm going to tell you when you travel with five guys, you know, it's the best The the van rides, I wish we had more of them because those are the best. Yeah. It's their locker room. And I, I asked the guys to put the phones away so they could play cards and just, just, just hang out and be guys. And I, I need young men that are going to take care of that push guard themselves if they have one. And most certainly respect their mom and dad more than not even acknowledging her. I'm a big, big believer in their, their faith has to be number one, no matter what it is, don't really care. And if they have a problem with that, then if they're atheists, then they'll get over it. Their, their family has to be number two. Their academics have to be three and their golf has to be four. And then their social life can be five. If, if a kid can't understand that, or if the social life gets in the way of any of the other stuff, they won't be successful here. I don't have a filter. So if they're not doing what they need to do, they'll find out quickly. And, and I need to, I have to develop young men in four years and that's becoming more and more difficult with these things involved mm -hmm. and the amount of pressure that these kids feel because every mistake they make is amplified on Instagram and, and social media, which we Sean, I don't know how old you are, but Jim and I didn't have phones when we were growing up. So the stupid things right we the did, cut. they didn't get documented. Yeah, you know, they're only rumors. But I, it kind of bothers me when I see uh, when I see kids really worry about their social media a lot. Because go golf your ball, let your sticks do your talking for you. What else has become? I mean, you've been doing this for seventeen years at UConn. I believe 16, yep. 16 years, sorry, 16 yeah. years. Okay. COVID counts as two. <laughs> sure. What, what, what's another thing just as a coach that you've seen change over that time that maybe you could have never imagined being a thing you're, you're maybe dealing with or helping kids with or helping a program with from when you started? I guess the technology piece, the, the players search for perfect with TrackMan and launch monitors. Mm. Uh, when I hear a kid say to me, oh, I'm going to zero out my track band numbers. Well, that's great because now your miss is going to be even further left and further right. Go get with a PGA professional that's trained in that stuff. And don't let, don't let, don't let a track man or a, a, a launch monitor be your coach when you're at the golf course. I, I was fortunate enough to grow up and play junior college golf in a place where Bob Toski is a Massachusetts guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he always taught me that this needs to be your coach. Your golf ball. And I find when kids, it's like they hit a shot and they look right back at the monitor or they're looking at their phone. Nah, you got to feel it. Feel it in your hands. See it. Where did that go? Why did I hit it left? You didn't hit it left because your face was shut. You hit it left because you felt like the face was shut. Because what's feel and what's real are two different things. And I think we're losing some of that, mm. which is maybe I'm just the old, the old guy get off my lawn guy. But, you know, I, we have an amazing new facility at Chris Cody's Golf in Portland that, down the way from campus. And we don't always have track me in there, which is great because the guys go there when it's sideways with the wind and rain and stuff. And they just go hit balls. Yeah. And that's becoming fewer and fewer. And, and I think there's a time and a place for a launch monitor. I think it's important to use it for fitting. I think it's important to 
check your numbers and your distance control. But I just think too much information is is an issue that yeah. that I would like to see kids be a little bit more gritty. And I didn't play very well today, but all right, I'll figure it out. If I'm hitting it left to right one day and the next day I get on the range and I'm hitting draws, play it. I'm not going to kill you. Yep. You'll figure it out. Yeah, they, unfortunately, and it, TrackMan is part of it, just the culture. The kids grow up with it. It's like a phone. And the, the challenge is to, okay, nice that you have it. Don't, if your balls, whatever your ball speed is, don't automatically, oh, I got to get more ball speed. I got to get more club head speed. I got to, and well, if you hit it, if you hit it, most of these kids hit it far enough. I, I just, the, the, the chasing late thing, you could document more players who have struggled with their golf game by chasing length than the people who have, okay, this is how far I hit it. I'm going to be good. I always remember Tim Clark, who <laughs> was yeah. just a wonderful player, played at NC Great State, guy. good enough to win a player's championship. And he just, he told me one day, my six eye, I have a six eye in my ham. I'm as good as anyone with a wedge, nine nine. He was, he was two clubs less than most of his peers. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't, but he believed he was, and he played to that, and he just let that be his game. Now, he ended up getting hurt, and that's mm, kind of why yeah. his career ended. But before his career right. ended, he played on President's Cup. He won a Players' Championship at a course that was kind of suited for people who can mm. just keep the ball and play. But, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I just always remember reading the great Ben Hogan saying, at the end of the day, you're only going to hit a, a a handful of really perfect golf shots, right? No matter what you cl- no matter how much technology and everything. So learn to play your bad shots and re- learn to recover. And you hit a really good shot. I mean, I, I don't hit many of them, but I know when I do, it feels like my son yeah. would say, "Goes, he he'll say, Dad, when you hit it, when the ball seems to stay on the club face." for seconds oh that's it's beautiful so yeah so sweet and you're not getting you're not doing that because track man numbers you're doing that because you mm-hmm. have the ability to do that and yeah i sure. i would i would like to see technology is wonderful cell phones really are great for a lot of reasons but not 24 7 not don't let them don't let the track man dominate your life i mean i think a lot of these Kids would are better off doing what you say. Just go out and figure it out, and don't don't chase speed. I mean, yeah, no, I I I agree. I can't agree more. It's like uh, we want guys that are going to play for a scorecard, not right. play golf swing on the golf course. And I I think, look, I, I don't want to go down the road of rolling the ball back. That's above my pay grade and definitely above my intelligence. <laughs> But I, I've seen misses over, I've been doing this in, totally since 1996. The golf ball doesn't curve as much. Right. And I would love to see the ball curve more so that a miss was actually a penalty. And on the PGA Tour, guys are, and on the LPGA Tour, guys are aiming for bunkers. They're, they're not hazards. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, like not a, it's, it's not a penalty to be in them. Yeah. And again, here I go with my, get off my lawn deal, but 
I, I think that if the ball, because you're not going to change how Bryson DeChambeau becomes a tank or the, the fitness level of Dustin Johnson or Maria Fossey, those type of players, are, they're strong elite athletes. They're going to hit it far, right? Yep. But if the ball could curve more, I think that, or if it did curve more, I think that you would see a lot more precision ball striking because when Nicholas won, he played the worst golf ball of that error. And the only reason why he played the MT tourney was because he was a McGregor guy. Yeah. And that was his answer. And they were blown away. The USGA, when they showed him the information, he, he was like, yeah, that's who I am. I don't know, 18 majors in 26 seconds. Yeah. Pretty good life. Pretty, pretty good life, I would think. But I, I wish we could have more kids because Instagram's terrible. Every swing instructor just drops the one thing. And then the other thing too is juniors should be very careful with videotaping their friends because if their swing instructor films from hand line, and they're videotaping from inside the headline, the club and the shaft are going to look like it's doing two different things. Yep. And that's when you have a problem. I, I had the opportunity to work at the Jim McClain Golf School throughout, and we filmed on target line. And to me, that's where every teacher stood. I don't remember watching teachers stand and look on hand line, uh, but you know, you see kids videotaping and I'll ask my guys where their swing instructor, their home and swing instructor wants to see video. Because if, if they let me do it, I'm going to stand right on the target line. Their swing instructor is going to see something different. And thankfully, we have a good group of guys supporting our our players that they know the difference. But yeah, it's the technology's tough because it, there's so much of it, right? We we had a player years ago, great golfer, John Flaherty. He's in the business world now. I think he's selling shares. He is selling shares. Uh, and we had track man. I don't know, first month. And he's like, coach, I can't, I can't practice on this thing. There's just too much information. Yeah. So I took everything away and we just did carry number total. And that was it. And it cleaned it all up. But if you could get kids to understand what a three quarter pitching wedge looks like, because right. a lot of juniors that are strong, that come from other sports, they think, well, I just got to be powerful. Yeah. Well, I hit my pitching wedge 150 yards. Yeah. But who cares? You shoot 80. Nobody yeah. cares. You're not make. You're not helping a guy like me make his mortgage if you shoot eighty. Yeah, probably won't even see the inside of the team dance. Yeah. So, less to clean it. I don't know, but the, yeah, I, I think I'd love to see some kids be a little bit more gritty. Yeah, I, I I found over the last year, especially like Thursday, Friday morning, I'll put on ESPN Plus. You can sit and watch an entire round of. You can watch yeah. Jordan Spieth play an entire round of golf. And Tiger awesome. and Justin Thomas and and I have learned so much just from watching those. They hit the ball in some wacky places, and they are just so good at recovering. Their short games are so good; they can get up and down. And then some days they don't, and that's just the day that they had. And they shoot seventy two, seventy three, seventy four, but they come back the next day and they shoot sixty six. Like, do you talk to your yep. do you talk to your kids ever? Like, is that something that? they ever talk about or do they watch do they watch golf as much as they just oh, yeah. kind of play it yeah oh oh sure sure and they'll with the with the with the ability to see qu quick clips of things i think you're seeing younger players becoming more business-like and learning how elite players play yeah. uh, they they realize that the the elite juniors realize that every flag isn't the target when i I think lasers have become a good thing and a bad thing. Again, right, Jim, more yeah. technology. I, I, 
my dad was worked the radar in the Navy. And if he was standing next to me, when he comes out to see our team, he could just look at a flag and go, that's 135. <laughs> and it would be like 137. Meanwhile, I still need a laser. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it would be great to see people learn how, what does a 78 yard blighted wedge feel like, right? Yeah. Because we're looking down and in basketball, you're looking at the goal. You're not looking at the ball. Yeah. Right. You're, I, I think that the, the players today are a lot more knowledgeable than I was about swing instruction and what good looks like. I don't know. Yeah, I probably would have struggled with this amount of information on Instagram and everything that's coming at me. Right. I, I think that's good and bad, but I would love if ESPN Plus would be all four rounds and it would be the conversation between the player and the caddy. Yeah. Right? I, like, yeah. hey, 134 to the front, 43 flag. We got to get it over that ledge. It's 138. Back of the greens, 150. Left or right, uphill. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Yep. Instead of, oh, the flag's 143, and they hit it, <laughs> 140 hits the hits the ridge and spins all the way to the front of the green. Yeah. Yeah. And when was the last time any of those guys that chased the big checks hit a full shot with any club? Probably not that many times. Yeah. No, no question. You go back to, I mean, today it's like standard. Even mediocre players, <laughs> people who can't break 80 like me i have four wedges in the bag and i often ask myself why why and back in the day guys would the wedge they could hit it one they didn't hit it 150 back then but they'd hit it 120 or they could hit it 90 yeah they they had a big window they could dead arm i mean you don't see a lot of a lot of the pros i always remember tom watson used the expression dead arm it Take the spin off. I'm I'm amazed that even as good as these guys are, how many times they hit shots and it spins back thirty feet and they're stunned. They're like, well, "Why that happened?" Well, they go at it so hard. Yeah, right. You know why? If you if you were trying to fly that one thirty five, why didn't you maybe choke down it and only hit it one twenty and let it release the other way? And you can watch him. I mean, you, Zach Johnson is not the player he was 10 years ago, but when he was good, oh, you used to watch him with, hit wedge shots. And I try, always, I'd, I was, oh my God, his arms are so straight. He never takes a full swing. He chokes, chokes down on it and he hits yeah. it. Everything was a three quarter shot, everything. And I, I wish, I, I always tell my son, you ought to watch clips of him. Yeah. yeah. I, I think about it this way, Jim. He won the Masters and he laid up on all four all, of the par five. Kept laying up. Yeah, made a bunch of birdies. Absolutely. I mean, that's insane. As as you bring guys into your program, thinking about like that next step, mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Herval is a guy who's now a pro, right? You have you have a guy like Jared Nelson who's, I think, probably playing around with giving it a run. And then you also have guys like Caleb Manuel who went south and went to Georgia, and you have Jack Bolger who's out at USC. And so UConn is, you've kind of made a little name for yourself as far as bringing kids in and, and preparing them for kind of the next level or getting them ready to maybe go south or go west. 
what in your what what about those conversations when what are those conversations like with kids who are like i want to be i want to i want to be a pro i want to give it a run <laughs> or i'm thinking about going to georgia because i'm i think caleb was out of was he was he out of his time at uconn or he just decided no, he to leave he went in the portal he just went into the portal um <laughs> so what like what are those conversations like the portal i know is probably a, a touchy subject for most <laughs> for most division 1 college right. coaches but just like you get you get a kid for four years or three years, preparing them for all of what we just talked about and having those conversations and involving families and I think, but just it's 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 an interesting kind of part of your job is maybe getting them ready for the next place they're going to go play. Well, I'm I'm not going to prepare somebody to go play at another university, Sean. Well, so that's not what I do. Yeah. So here here's what we do. My job as the coach here is to prepare a young man to get better every year. That's my responsibility. And the portal has changed those conversations. You're 100% correct. Yeah. And normally those conversations don't include a lot with the head coach any longer. Okay. Um, usually they're pretty quick because there's a lot of other people that are involved in that process. The two young men that you mentioned, they're great kids. I love them dearly. If they called me and needed help in anything, be more than happy to do anything I can for either one of them. They chose to be Huskies. Yep. And more power to them to do whatever they wanted to do. But I, I will tell you that Jared Nelson could have left. Yep. He's gotten measurably better. And it's not he that he golfs his ball better. He's scoring better because he's become more of a complete player. And if you look at the track record of our guys that have been here from day one to the time that they left, a great amount of them have gotten vastly better. And that's something I'm really proud about. We have a great student athlete experience here at UConn. We have a great strength coach, mental health support, academic support. I fancy myself that we can help guys get better. Jimmy Herbal is, forget the fact that he can golf his ball so very well. He's just an amazing human being. Right. And, uh, and I'm really proud of the space that he's at. Nabil Collin came in and won two PGA Works championships back-to-back, almost won a third. And I think that you look at Zach Zabak and he had status in the Corn Ferry Tour. Brian Hughes was our first kid who came in from Fairfield, Connecticut. And he was my, our first guy to get status in Corn Ferry. Conditional, but he got it. Matt Carroll came from Florida. He had status in Latin America, Canada, played all over the world. I, I think the unique thing about our place is our schedule. The student athlete experience at UConn is really special and it really helps a young man get better. And, and I'll tell you that that's something that I'm really proud about. Yeah. Listening to Jared Nelson, I interviewed him for a piece yeah. I wrote for New England Golf Journal. Brilliant. Fall. He's brilliant. He just listening to him talk about like how much he's grown at your program. And you mentioned the oh, sports but... psych and like yeah. the, this yeah. idea of he gives himself 10 steps. He kind of he got through this process where I, yep. give, I, get, I let myself yep. be angry for 10 steps and then it's done. And then I'm moving on and I'm hitting my next shot. And he definitely is an interesting very good player, and I, I really liked talking to him about his experience at UConn and and uh, how much he's just appreciated being there and, and winning and winning a bunch, and hopefully he continues to do he, so. Sean, he's like having an assistant coach. When we break down the golf course and we go through our our strategy and prep for the golf course, it's it's not me that the players turn to first. They stand right next to him and find out, hey, well, what do you think about this? And he'll tell them, like, that's stupid. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Again, no filter. He doesn't yeah. have a filter, so you better get ready because if you, you want to do something stupid, he's not going to let you pull that club. But I'm really proud to see where he's come. He's a grad. He's a grad student. 
could, didn't have to come back, could yep. have jumped into the portal. And uh, he came back and he never, he never once wavered, qualified for the U.S. Amateur at a place that I worked in high school and took a top 100 Wagger ranker ranking kid to, uh, to the 18th hole. Yeah. yeah. But if you would see the player that we got as a sophomore and the man that we have now, yep. this Jared would beat the sophomore Jared by 20 over four <laughs> rounds and it wouldn't even be close. Well, we hope we hope you have a great Big East Championship, and well, we thanks. hope that golf continues after that, and you get some you get to go out to to Greyhawk and get some warm weather and no snow this time when you're out there. So good yeah, luck. Scott still got snow. I didn't know about that. And well, thanks so much for your time. This yeah, was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, and and good luck, and we'll be following along. Thank you. Coach. Thanks a lot, guys. Good talking. See you guys. See thanks. Thanks for joining us on the On Course Podcast. Please remember to rate review subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform thanks to dave yaz for producing the podcast the on course podcast is a siemens media production